to speak to you from the subject, if you're taking notes, write this down. I want to speak to you from the subject, two resurrections. Two resurrections as we celebrate Easter and look at the power of the resurrection and redemption in the life of a man named Peter and what it means for our lives as well. So can we all agree before we get into the message today, can we all agree that we at least base understand that today is about the resurrection of Jesus. Can we, can we all understand that? Okay, cool. I want us to keep that intention because what I want to do is I want to pivot to another character in the Bible. I want to, I want to connect how Jesus' resurrection practically and personally impacts Peter's life. Would you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. I pray today that as we honor you and worship you, God, we do so understanding the great miracle that the resurrection is. God, that in it, you would bring change to all of our lives. And God, I pray that these words are not my words, but they are your words to all of us today. So we give you this space. Have your way. Do your thing. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Uh, show of hands. How many of you have played the game Guess Who before? Guess Who? Show of hands. Okay. Most of you in here. Um, First service, everyone played it, so we now know the mature service. Um, I love the game Guess Who. We, we used to have it at my house, but my kids have all but broken most of the pieces, so technically we're just guessing who as a blank spot. But um, when we played that game, it was always fun playing with my kids because if you haven't played it before, Guess Who is all about trying to figure out who the other person is by way of spouting off different characteristics about him. Uh, my, my wife just got our kids a different game, which was called Guess in 10 or something like that. And you have 10 guesses to guess what animal that they're holding. And then if you guess it, then you get a, another guess to guess another animal. It's all about guessing, if you, if you haven't realized. And one of, the way that, one of the things that you do in order to guess what the other person has, whether it's Guess Who or this other game, is you've got to start poking at and hi, trying to highlight different characteristics of that person. I find it fascinating because if we were to play Guess Who in here, if you know the person, you're going to start trying to pick out characteristics and, and play that game as well. And here's what I've come to realize from the, from the game Guess Who is that all of us have two sides. Would you agree with me today? Every single one of us has two sides, whether we like it or not. And if we're brutally honest in here, there's a side that we, we potentially like, like, and then there's a side that we're not such a fan of. Right? There's the public side and the private side. There's the transparent side and the secret side. There's the bold side and then there's the fearful side. There's the side we want everyone to see and the side that we work painstakingly hard at making sure no one sees. You and I like this man named Peter that we're about to look at, all of us have two sides. So who was Peter? His full name at birth was Simon Bar-Jonah. Read this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, meaning Simon, son of Jonah. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, give us highlight about that as well. Simon Peter's father name, father's name then was John, sometimes rendered Jonas, not the brother's. Or Jonah. And after this, we know nothing more about his parents. 
John chapter 1, verse 42 describes Jesus' first face-to-face meeting with Simon Peter. Listen to what it says. It says, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. And I want you to get this. Could you imagine meeting Jesus for the first time? And this is what is said. You are Simon, the son of John. You shall now be called Cephas, which means Peter, which is translated rock. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Like for the first introduction, the first meeting that you're going to have with this man, Jesus, who you've been hearing about, the first thing that he is going to do when you guys interact with each other is he's going to change your name. He's going to transform who you are. Why? Because Jesus was already assessing that there was two sides to Peter. Now what's interesting about Peter is that throughout the Gospels, the variations of his name would be used as he found himself in different situations and circumstances. Come on, how many of you would admit to me this morning, a little, little therapy lesson, that depending on the circumstance, one of your sides comes out. Amen. And I've seen some of you in traffic. Come on. Depending <laughs> <laughs> on the situation. There's a side when, when my wife is working out, especially when we did CrossFit together. But even now as we're, as we're at home working out, I can hear, I can hear when she's going hard in the paint. So we don't go down near that room. We stay away from it. Let someone lose their life. <laughs> There's two sides to all of us. You see, by nature, Simon was brash, vacillating, undependable. He tended to make great promises he couldn't follow through with. He was one of those people who would dive wholeheartedly into something, but then would bail out before finishing. He would speak his mind and say things without really thinking through it at all. As one author put it, Peter was eager, aggressive, bold, and outspoken with a habit of revving his mouth while his brain was in neutral. Anybody else have that problem or is it just me? He was constantly corrected by Jesus and constantly found himself as the sermon illustration as Jesus would use his very colorful personality to drive home many points to him and the other disciples. Yet Peter would seemingly become the leader of this ragtag group of guys as they would continue their time with Jesus. The life of Peter was one that was in constant flux between who he was. Come on, tell me if you can, if you can sit with this. Between who he was and who God had designed him to be. In other words, Peter was a lot like you and I. One minute he was Simon, messing things up, saying things he shouldn't, doubting, questioning, yet he was also Peter, strong, bold, focused, and in tune with all that Jesus was doing and getting ready to do. Anybody else like me feel like you are stuck in between two places sometimes? The person I want to be and the person I definitely don't want to be. The person with a future and a hope and the person who's trying to run from the past. See, we all vacillate between that, and Peter was no different. And the reason I want to do this is is because I need us to understand that the resurrection has more power than what we give it sometimes. And for many of us, we can come in on an Easter Sunday like this, and the resurrection is simply our moment to just give acknowledgement to what we actually simply think is some myth or unicorn moment. And for others of us in here, this is the truth that our lives hang on. i got to tell you, for me and my house, we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I believe wholeheartedly in the resurrection. I believe in this Jesus, and my life hangs on it. But no matter where you are at today on that spectrum, I need us to understand this truth right here, and I think we can all agree it. There's two sides to all of us. There's two sides to all of us. Now, 
We're going to see this contrast of Peter's life play out in two very specific moments. The first one's found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through to 19, and it says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to him, Watch this question, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Many of us in here today have different thoughts and ideas about who Jesus is. I maybe pose the question to you, who do you say Jesus is today? Is he the risen Savior or is it just some mythical story that crazy people adhere to? Come on, can we talk real in church today? And so right here, this is what's being posed to the disciples. And Peter steps up. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What a moment! Peter got it. He stepped up, and he nailed it. You ever been there before when you nail it? Just as high, you feel good. Like, I got that one right. Did you all see that? I got that one right. (laughs) This was Peter being Peter. He was operating in faith. He he wasn't wavering. He was full of assuredness and and passion and and complete conviction and and resolve. What a place to be. I know that there are times in my life that this is my address. I'm full of faith and, and conviction, passion and truth. Nothing can stand in the way of what God is doing in me and through me. Oh, I love when I'm, when I'm occupying that address. But then there's another moment in Peter's life. There's the other side of Peter. It's found in Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Can we just work through some Bible today? Is that all right with everybody? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and asked, you were also with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this man, he was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them. Watch this, for your accent betrays you. Imagine Peter being identified with Jesus simply because of his accent. And Peter, for the third time, is going to deny Jesus. And this is when everything is happening. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And and all of a sudden, Peter operates in the other part of him, the Simon part of him. He's no longer Peter, bold, strong, full of assuredness. Now he's Simon and he's scared and he's vacillating and he's insecure. And he he doesn't want to speak truth because he's afraid of what's going to happen to him. And here's the truth. He was weak, broken, dejected, and ashamed. And if I'm honest, sometimes this is my address as well. At times I'm scared, I'm doubting, I'm ashamed, I'm passionless. Come on, am I talking to anybody in church today? I'm a man that is broken in need of so much grace. We often say this around here, if you're a guest with us today, we do not preach from a pulpit of perfection. We are all in process today. We all have two addresses that we live at. Some days we're Peter. You charge hell with a squirt gun. Other days we're Simon, and we are running for our life. 
And we represent one of those spaces today, one of those addresses. Why? Because there's two sides to all of us. There's the inner conflict that takes place in all of it. It's the, it's the conflict between who we are and who God wants us to be. Maybe we can put it this way. Our lives, like Peter's life, many times is a living and walking juxtaposition. Paul the Apostle would write about this in Romans chapter 7. He would, he would say, there's things that I want to do and I don't do them. And then there's things that I don't want to do and for some reason I keep up ending doing those things. And there's this battle. Come on, has anybody felt that battle before? It's like, which way do I go? How do I do that? And we vacillate like Peter. There's two addresses for my life. There's two sides of me. And I want to be over here, but this thing keeps drawing me back. I need to be over here, but for some reason I keep doing this. What is going on? And then Paul would say this, what a wretched man I am. Who would save me from this diabolical scheme? And then he would proclaim at the end of it all, thanks be to God who brings me out of my grave. Why? Because Jesus got out of the grave. See, God has a bigger plan and a bigger purpose. It's made possible by this power. It's the power that changed Simon to Peter. It's the power that transformed Saul into Paul. It's this power that got Jesus out of the grave. It's this power that has produced grace, and it's this grace that saves. It's this grace that changes everything. Now, We look at these two moments in Peter's life, but there was then a third moment. The third moment, and here's where we get to the resurrection, the third moment is after Jesus gets out of the grave. After Resurrection Sunday, how many of you agree with me that that's a pretty pretty special miracle? And it's not just a physical miracle, it's a spiritual miracle. And after Jesus gets out of the grave, the Bible would tell us, and many scholars and theologians would agree on this, it's around about 40 days that Jesus would stay out of the grave before he would eventually ascend to heaven. And I just happen to like that it happened this way because I see it as Jesus making sure that he ties up some loose ends after it all. And one of those loose ends is Peter. But Jesus isn't going to go take him out. (laughs) You would think he would, right? It's like, you denied me, bro. You're done. You're coming with me. (laughs) But that's not what happens. See, if you know anything about the disciples after this moment is that they went back to normal. Every shot, normal. Normal. You ever ever notice that normal is the place that we go when faith has been shattered? You ever notice that predictable is the place that we go when everything has seemingly been lost? And I want you to think about this. Like, Some of us actually understand this at a very guttural level. In 2020, many of us lost everything. We went through some stuff. Many of our friends gone through some of the same stuff. And so there's this moment where you where you start believing and and going, like, is is everything gone? Is is hope all lost? That's what the disciples were going through. Could you imagine for three years they followed this man? This man, Jesus, fully God and fully man, and they followed him and they put all of their stock in them and they sat at dinners and they watched blind men be healed and they, they watched lepers be healed and, and they watched the Pharisees argue with them and they watched miracle after miracle after miracle and yet all of a sudden when they think everything is gonna go the way that they want it to, that Jesus is gonna overthrow the Romans and everything is gonna go as planned, all of a sudden he dies. You ever lost hope before? Did the dream ever die? That's this moment. And the Bible tells us that Peter went back to fishing. Why? 
Well, because the place of predictable tends to be the place where we land when our faith has been shattered. But it's also the place that Jesus shows up. And it was in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, Jesus would have another moment with Peter. And it says this, that when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, every shout, third time. Third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, there's some jumps we can make here. There's a little bit of, a little bit of lengthening that we can take here and read behind the lines. And some scholars and theologians would look at this moment that Jesus was getting Peter to overcome the three denials that he made by the three times he said, I love you. And maybe we can get there. I, I don't I want to submit to us today that that's a pretty big stretch. But what I do know right here is that Jesus was taking care of Peter's other side. Jesus was taking care of the side that caused him to deny him. And he was making sure that Peter was going to step into the future that he had for him. That he was no longer going to be labeled by denial. He was no longer going to be labeled by his dysfunction. Peter was going to step into something new. It's the second resurrection. Jesus got out of the grave so that we could be pulled out of the ones we put ourselves in. So what I want to do today is I want to look at three very specific areas of Peter's life and our lives. The resurrection heals. See, the great thing about Jesus is it's not just one area. Oh, the resurrection theologically and doctrinally, I mean, it is the crux of everything that we hang our faith on because none of it really matters if Jesus didn't get out of the grave. But come on, how many of you know that he's a God of more? He doesn't just take care of that aspect, but there's some healing that takes place. And that's what happens right here on the beach with Peter. And here's the first, first thing that the resurrection restores is that he restores our identity. He restores our identity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through to 19 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, every shout in Christ. Every shout in. 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 He is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Today, I have a sweet pair of Nikes on. I love them, and they're not as expensive as people think. <laughs> so I'm getting dressed this morning and putting on my shoes, and my daughter comes in. She says, Dad, did you get new shoes for Easter? And I was like, nope. Because the truth is, is, I've had these for a couple years now. So then the next question comes, Dad, how do you keep your shoes looking so new? So I explained to her the ways of good shoe care. <laughs> Dad, how do you keep your shoes so, so new looking? And I said, well, baby, and I grabbed a box that was sitting on the floor because I have this weird thing of keeping my shoes in boxes, and if you know, you know, okay? 
So she goes, do you keep all of your shoes in boxes? I said, no, just, just the ones I really like. So that way, they always stay new. I want us to read that scripture just one more time. Because in Christ, we are a new creation. And I need us to know that the marring that can take place sometimes in life and the brutality of life at times, when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is passed away, and behold, the new has come. These shoes are protected when they are in the box. They are staying new when they are in the box. They stay away from the dust and the mar and the dirt and all the stuff that can get on them. They are kept new when they are in the container. And I just need us to understand if we can use an illustration this morning. When I am in Christ, I am a new creation. He restores our identity. I mean, we can go forever on this illustration. These are retaining their identity. Nikes. (laughs) Two years later. And I love that idea that we can walk through the pain of life and we can walk through the brokenness of life and still retain newness. Why? Because we're in Christ. The resurrection restores our identity. Come on, anybody thankful for Jesus today? The truth is that many of us face today this realization that we are the sum total of our identity. However flawed and marred and broken it may be, some of us come in here today having been defined by disappointment abuse, addiction, bitterness, pride, and shame. We come in here today with our identity having been shaped by the divorce, by the loss of a child, by the inability to have a child. We've been defined by the layoff, the diagnosis, or the general idea that somewhere along the way got planted, I am nothing. Identity. And the resurrection of Jesus shows us that what has been ruined can be resurrected. So the first thing that we need to see by way of the resurrection is that he restores our identity. Here's the second thing. He restores our wholeness. John chapter 10 verse 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came (laughs) that they may have life and have it abundantly. How many of you have ever had something stolen from you? Show hands. Lots of us in here. Wow. Wow. No one in the first service really had anything stolen. It was like four people. Where do you guys live? <laughs> so when we first moved into our house in Phoenix, um, one of the th- decisions that I made is that we were going to get a TV. Guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? And it wasn't a pass-down TV. We had the big tube TV, you know, where you could fit a family in it? One of those TVs. So we decided flat screen, we're going to ease it up, like, okay, so we bought the TV. A little while after that, somebody broke into our house, they stole everything, TV, the, the Blu-ray player, the DV player, like camera, the whole nine yards. So one of the families in our youth ministry pulled us aside one day, and they said, hey, they got, my, got our phone number, and they're like, hey, we, we want to we wanna help with some of this. And I, I didn't know what to expect, so one day I get a phone call, I kid you not, like at home, and he's at Best Buy, he goes, come to Best Buy now. I was like, praise the Lord. So I show up in the Best Buy, and I'm thinking, you know, like the person, like, 
I'm thinking reasonable, because no one ever projects the unreasonable onto the other person. Like, we, like, hey, like okay, I, I want to get you a TV. So, like, and you're like, okay, 27-inch. No one's going to be like, sweet, 85, let's do this. No one does that, right? We all behave, I think, for the most part. Some of you are bold, and you would go straight for it. You'd be like, can we get a projector up in here? <laughs> So he's like, oh, I want to I help get some stuff. And I was okay. And like, just as I start ready to go, like, go with him, he goes, and I just want you to like, get whatever you want. It was upon those words that I became a small child. <laughs> I, t- I said, whatever? Whatever you want. I was like, oh, sweet. All right. 65 inch. Here we come. Uh, plasma, LCD. Like, you know, we were doing all these different things. And, and I got myself a PlayStation 4. I don't even play PlayStation <laughs> Right? And I was like, so getting stuff, we got a new camera stuff, we got a new Nintendo Wii because that got stolen as well. So I just started stocking up and he's like, is there anything else you want? So I started grabbing whatever I could, like a Furby and like extension cords. You know the random things that they have in those baskets? They're like, do you even like that DVD? I'm like, no, not at all. I don't even know what it is, but you're buying. (laughs) There's this idea in scripture that tells us what the enemy steals. God redeems even greater. And for some of us right now, our wholeness has been stolen from us. The works of the enemy, the brutality of life, things in our past, the things that we've experienced, and I just need us to understand that the power of the resurrection is more than just Jesus getting out of the grave. It is Jesus restoring back to you and I wholeness, even more than we ever had. Oh, you thought you had confidence. Now there's even more in Christ. Why? Because I'm a new creation. He restores our wholeness. I am made whole. And the cool thing about wholeness is it's, I want you to understand that it means no gaps. Come on, church. No, no gaps. No crevices, no cracks. New and it's in that place that I then walk out the great plan and purpose that God has for me. And here's the last truth we need to understand today is that he restores our purpose. He restores our purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through to 10 says this. For you are saved. You want to hear some good news today? Yeah. Come on, how many of you love good news in a bad news world right now? Come on, somebody. This is Paul the Apostle right, and he says, you have been saved by grace. So for those of us in here who think that we earn it, we get it, you can't pick it up at Walmart, and you will not get it in Costco at bulk, you need to understand that we are saved only by, in, and through Jesus and his grace. Nothing else. And this is not from yourselves. Watch what he says. It's a gift of God. Not from works so that none of us can boast. See, I'm gonna tell you today, I don't stand up here because of something that I'm good at. Uh-uh, I stand up here today because I am humbled at the reality that I'm deserving of nothing and yet still Jesus got out of the grave. So no one can boast. And then here it is right here, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time 
for us to do. I walked into a uh, painting store. You know one of those painting stores in Park City that you just can't afford anything? (laughs) But you pretend. (laughs) So I walked into one of the stores. I was looking around. They're they're beautiful paintings. There's oil. One of those oil painting places. And I walked over to the corridor after looking at all this guy's paintings. And he was sitting over in his desk looking at us. For some reason, every guy that paints has his glasses right here, and he's just looking at you like, you don't belong here. (laughs) I'm like, I know. So I'm walking around, and I got to the corner. I had a friend with me. And as I got to the corner, we we found this canvas, and then this kind of countertop in front of the canvas where he'd been piling oil paint. And then he had this other painting next to him. It was a beautiful painting, gorgeous painting, and it was on the floor. It wasn't kept. It wasn't, wasn't kept like the other ones were. It was just, and it, I mean, gorgeous painting. It was gigantic, about as tall as me, wide. I said, what's up with this painting? And he's, uh, he said the uh, owner didn't like it when I got it to him. And I was like, dang. So I've got to paint it again. And I thought to myself, that is, that is brutal. How long is it going to take you? I said, weeks, maybe months. I said, why? He's like, well, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to keep on going on it. And then, then he made this statement, until I know that it's perfect. And I thought to myself in that moment, that's, that's what an artist does with a masterpiece. That's what an artist does with his workmanship. The truth is, is that we are marred and busted and broken. We've got nicks, cuts, and bruises. We are far from perfect people. But there was an intent in the Father's heart. And that is why Paul the Apostle writes to us in Ephesians that we are his workmanship. And he made it and he labored over it. You need to know that by design, you are so loved. workmanship. And if you don't hear anything else today at this Easter service, please walk out of here today. Whether you ascend to the belief or not, please walk out of here today understanding that you are God's workmanship. And if that keeps you coming back just one more time, if that gets you to the place that you're on the side of the mountain one day and you decide to call out to Jesus, then fantastic. But I just need you to know today that no matter what has been said over your life, no matter what has been done in your life, no matter what you've gone through and some of the worst things have happened to many of us in here, I need you to understand this truth is that you are his workmanship and the resurrection of Jesus restores that